want to encourage you, grab a Bible this morning. And we are going to be um, staying in the, the Timothy stream, and we are going to be looking at 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2. And um, so find a Bible, find 2 Timothy chapter 2 uh, in your uh, Bibles that we have provided. It is on uh, page 900 and I believe 96, uh, 95 and 96, because we are going to be looking at two sections of 2 Timothy. And um, the Apostle Paul had some really uh, insightful things that if we read Scripture too quickly, you, you just miss a whole lot of stuff. If you're reading it just for like the David and Goliath stories, or you're reading it for, uh, oh man, that means a lot to me, and you read too quickly, you kind of gloss over things, you miss, you miss some of the stuff that uh, the authors, what God is really trying to communicate through uh, the authors that mean a tremendous amount for us. So we are going to look at 2 Timothy, and we're going to just read uh, this first little section here, uh, starting at verse 1 through 5, and then we're going to flip to your right uh, to chapter 3. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois, and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands, where God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Turn to chapter 3. We're going to start at uh, verse uh, 14 of chapter 3. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I firmly believe, I firmly believe that behind every good man is his mother and his wife. Behind every good man is his mother. She came first. And his wife. And I believe that mothers do, it's often a, in our culture, we don't give enough attention to the work of a mother and to a wife. These, 
these women that are in our lives are absolutely critical because what they do or do not do has lifelong implications. They are investors in our future. What a mother does, what a mother does not do has lifelong implications on their children and lifelong implications on generations to come. Lifelong. In fact, I, I even dare to say what a mother does or does not do has implications on eternity. How, how, how's that feel, moms? <laughs> All right. And may the sermon be over. Right? But, but so this is a, one of those sermons that we, we need to hear. Because so often, Missio Day as a church, we, we, we kind of have a lot of manpower stuff going, you know? You hear a lot of sermons about men. Listen, it is critical that you lead your families, that you, you spiritually lead your families, that you be this guy, that you do this. But equally as important is the role of wives and mothers. It is critical that you hear how important the role of mother is to the church and for God's plan for eternity. One of the life's greatest blessings that we have is that of a godly mother. And so one of the greatest gifts that you moms can have, that you can ever give, one of the greatest gifts that you can ever give to your children is that of being a godly mother. It's not about having the neatest home, the cleanest home. It's not about you, the work that you might do outside of the home. It might not be about you know, having the best food, the best gift that you can ever give you, you anybody, especially your family, is that of being a godly mother. That is the best gift that you can ever give. But sadly, the, the influence of, of, of our cultural society has caused the status of motherhood to just decline. Moms just, you know what, it's not as glamorous as it used to be. In fact, it, it's far more glamorous for you to find your, your identity in the workplace and what the, all those kind of other things. That's what culture says. You know what? Find your real meaning out here. But Scripture says, listen, one of the best gifts that you can ever give is that of being a godly mother. And so for, for this morning and for the rest of the life of Missio Day, I want to elevate. I want to elevate the role of godly mothers for our church and to say that it is critical whether you be a biological mother or a spiritual mother, it is critical that we understand the importance as a church and as a family of God, the importance of mothers. And we see this here in 2 Timothy 5, uh, 1 verse 5. We learn from that uh, Timothy's faith came to him through his grandmother Lois and then his mother Eunice. And, and the Apostle Paul's preaching may have been used by God to bring Timothy actually to conversion, but behind his preaching were years and years and years of godly influence 
by Timothy's grandmother and mother. I look at even my life, and sometimes I think that we're very quick to take things for granted, right? But I look back at my life. I come from a long line, a long, long line of godly parents and grandparents. My, my great, great, great grandparents, all the way to the point where they got off the boat in New York and traveled all the way to Pella, Iowa, they were all godly people, God-fearing people. My, my grandparents are just God-fearing people. They love Jesus with all of their hearts to the point where they just sacrificed whatever it took to influence their children and their grandchildren, putting us through private Christian education because they just said, you know what, this is absolutely critical that our kids are, are constantly surrounded by the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. They will be poor dirt farmers. Feed us macaroni and cheese all of our lives you know tomato soup which i hate and grilled cheese and leftovers oh but they did whatever it took to have us surrounded by the gospel and how quickly i forget the heritage the foundation that has been laid for me and i'm sure the same is true for you we look at grandparents as those kind folks who at Christmas time shower our kids or shower you with stuff. Or they might be able to tell you stories. But behind godly grandparents is hopefully something far deeper and richer. It's Jesus. And we see that in, in 2 Timothy 1 verse 5. Paul recognizes, hey, I shared the gospel and you were converted by the good news of Jesus Christ. But look at your grandmother, Lois. And look at your mother, Eunice. And how they have been laying a foundation for you. And then we see here in 2 Timothy 3, 14-17, we also learn that the sincere faith of these women were combined with instructing Timothy from his earliest days from the Scriptures. He was instructed by his mother and his grandmother in the scriptures. They weren't just these kind ladies who were just, you know, giving him things. They were instructing him in the scriptures. And he basically, you know, we got this beautiful section, 16 and 17, where Paul basically, you know, we use it as, you know, all of scripture is God breathed out by God. We talk about the authority of Scripture. We talk about how it's inerrant, that it's, all of it is important and it's good. But this is a... Paul is pulling at Timothy's heartstrings and just saying, you know, because you've heard it from your grandmother, you've heard it from your mother, and you know how Scripture changes you. You know they have taught you, they've discipled you, they have shared the good news with you. they taught you the scriptures. It is absolutely critical. Don't you agree, Timothy? Timothy is going, yeah, all of scripture is breathed out from God. Because I remember as a child how it has trained me, it has corrected me, it has brought me up to the point where he says that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. Yeah. Thank God for my mother and my grandmother. So if we look at Timothy's life, 
We could say that for this morning, our, our theme is that through faith in God, through faith in God and honoring His Word, through faith in God and honoring His Word, these two pieces, godly mothers have great influence as they train their children. Through faith in God and honoring His Word, mothers have a tremendous amount of influence. Now and for the age to come, of training their children and raising them up. And we see in, in 1 verse 5 that godly mothers are women of sincere faith. Sincere faith. As Paul thought fondly about this, his son in the faith, you see that right there at the top. He goes, you know what? Timothy, my beloved child. And thinks about Timothy's sincere faith. He was reminded that such faith also first dwelt in his grandmother and his mother. We don't know much about these women. We don't know how they came to faith. All, all that we know is that, that they have Greek names. They weren't good Jewish folks to start off with. They had Greek names. So we, we could do a bunch of extrapolating of how they came to faith. Some believe that it happened at Pentecost. But we don't know. It could be one of Paul's missionary journeys as he was coming through town and he shared the, the gospel the first time and Eunice and, and Lois came to faith. We're, we're really not sure. We're really not sure. We, we do know for a fact that Timothy's father was not a believer in Jesus Christ. We don't know if that took place prior to conversion or what, but all that we do know is that somewhere in time, these women heard the good news of Jesus Christ and they responded. And Timothy's father still wasn't a believer, but look what happened because of these believing women who had sincere faith in Jesus Christ. Their son and grandson is now receiving letters from the Apostle Paul. I said, listen, Timothy, you're going to be pastor of this church in Ephesus, and here's some things you've got to know. And Paul is kind of taking on the mantle of being his spiritual father. But we need to understand that one of the prime qualities that a woman needs is that of a sincere faith. And this word sincere here means literally not hypocritical. Kids can smell a fake a mile away. I could. As a kid, I remember growing up in the church, and I could see people who was like, okay, hey, it's time to go to church. You know, they put on their Sunday face, and then you see them for the rest of the week. And maybe that's you. You know, it's like, all right, come on, let's get out the door, let's go, doggone it. Clean up, scrub the shoes down, you know, to a high sheen, you know, let's all look really good. You know, I grew up in a culture where every Sunday, every van in the church parking lot was clean, even if you drove on a gravel road. That meant that you drove even slower 
so there was no dust. So we kind of had this Dutch Christian facade that we wore. And you could smell a fake a mile away. And kids can pick it up too when they look at their mother, their father. But these women, Eunice and Lois, had a sincere, a non-hypocritical faith. It was absolutely true. And Timothy picked that up right away going, oh, what they believe and what they practice is real. It is sincere. They believe it with all their heart. It's not a mask. It's not a Sunday fake thing that they wear. It is absolutely true. And having a sincere faith, a true faith, does not imply perfection. So we're not looking for mothers or people to be absolutely perfect. Because if we're, we're expecting that kind of level of performance, then we're legalistic. And it's absolutely impossible. If you've ever found a perfect mother, I'd be concerned. Then you haven't seen her after the kids have gone off to school. Or after you drop them off at child care. Thank God they're gone. I can have a moment to myself. We have those moments of, of dropping everything. And that's not what this is about. Sincere faith means, man, I am clinging onto Jesus even when it is absolutely difficult. And when I fall and when I lose it, I repent. I say, I'm sorry. This is not what Jesus wants for me and not what he wants for you. A sincere faith is absolutely true to the gospel. But it does imply reality with God. Sincere faith means that you have sincerely believed in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. It means that you walk in the reality with Christ each and every day, spending time in His Word, spending time in prayer. It means that you confront yourself with Scripture personally and judge your sin on even the thought levels, not just the activity levels, on the thought levels. Oh man, ah, Scripture says this, I'm thinking this, I repent. It means that when you do sin against a family member, you ask for forgiveness and you seek to work out, work on your weak areas. It means that you develop godly character qualities and attitudes of submission, thankfulness, and joy in the Lord. It means your kids can realize that while mom isn't perfect, she does walk with the Lord. Not only are godly mothers or godly women sincere, of sincere faith, but they also seek to hand off their faith to their children. It's not just me and my personal relationship with Jesus. Oh, I love Jesus. He loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. It is a faith that is to be passed on. Oh, kids, I had the best gift, the best prize that you can ever have it's better than a job it's better than all the finances all the resources in the world it's better than this it's better than your tonka truck boy it is better better than a bb gun isaac it's better than this this is the best thing in the world it's jesus i want to pass it on to you and genuine faith is absolutely contagious 
when you have faith in Jesus Christ and it's absolutely sincere, your kids look at you and go, I want that. They don't run from it. They cling to it. They long for it. They run to it. So how do you hand off your faith to your kids? And one of the main ways, one of the main ways for doing this is by training them in God's Word. You see this in in 2 Timothy 3. And it it talks about, um, starting in verse 14, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it. The from whom is plural, pointing to Eunice, pointing to Lois, and also to the Apostle Paul. You have received these things. The phrase, knowing from whom you have learned it, points to the reality of God's Word in these people, dwelling in these people. It's planted in them. It, it just oozes out of them. And he said, remember from whom you have received the Word of God? It's those people. It was planted in them, and now it is transplanted in you. Training our children is absolutely critical. To train them in the Word of God. If you are not training your children in the Word of God at the earliest of ages, and just hoping that by brushing off, you know, kind of coming in contact with you casually, that it is going to get in their hearts, it's possible. God does miraculous things, but God has given us the family unit and godly mothers to transfer it intentionally into our lives. It is critical that as fathers and mothers that we work together to share the Word of God with our kids. But it is also critical. Church family, it is critical that we work together in sharing the gospel with each other and our children. That is a covenant responsibility. Pray right now that your children has an adult, a man or a woman outside of yourself that can pour into your children's lives. Pray for that a mentor, a Sunday school teacher, an elder, a deacon, a a greeter, somebody who your child just longs to see within our, our community of faith. And they run to that person like they run to you. And you know that person is sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. They share Scripture with them. They correct them. They're not just the, you know, the one that hands off candy pulls out a mint out of their pocket and gives them candy, but you know that person is speaking into their life and correcting them and training them, redirecting them alongside you. The best thing you can do for kids is at an early, early age 
is teach them the importance of reading and studying and memorizing and obeying God's Word. That's why Easter Sunday, Grace standing up in front, sharing Matthew 28 about the resurrection. Oh my gosh. My wife was over here crying. There was other people had teary eyes. And my heart as a dad just going, go girl. At an early age, memorizing Scripture, hiding it away in her heart and her mind, oh, it is absolutely critical. But how do we do this? Is it just like a class? Do we sign them up? It's just like, okay, memorize Scripture, let's go. We're working on Romans this year. Good luck, kid. How do we do it? Well, I think here's the first way. Since it's Mother's Day, I'm going to stick to moms. The first way is that a mother must grow in her own love for the Word of God. It is critical that Tracy, that Jen, that Donna, that Laura, that Abby, all of you mothers, that you first, if you want your children to grow in their love for the Word of God, you have got to grow in your own personal love for God's Word. You cannot impart what you do not possess. Let me say that again. You cannot impart what you do not possess. If you don't love God's Word, you just don't man, crave to just dine on God's Word and eat it up and, oh, this is so sweet, let me share what... Your kids aren't going to do it. It is critical that you love God's Word. That maybe you wake up early in the morning. Maybe it's late at night. Maybe it's during the lunch hour as your husband, your your man does dishes, you know, sinks his hand in the sink and cleans. You say, honey, I'm going to read God's Word. You do the dishes. And the kids see that. They're going to go, what is mom up to? Yeah, what's dad doing? (laughs) All right, I'm convicted. All right. You know, but mom has a true hunger, a desire for God's word. That is absolutely critical that the kids see you hungering and thirsting for God's word. And it's also critical that you begin at an early age reading the Bible to your children. When we, go, when we have baptisms, one of the, the books that we give you is the Jesus Storybook Bible. Our daughter has those pages bent over. Turned, she knows all the stories and she knows exactly where her favorite ones are. Even though she can read totally to herself, she loves it when Laura or I read to her. Read God's Word to your kids. Read godly books to your children. And then discuss it. Share it. Ask questions. And if you don't have the answers, say, I don't know. Let's discover together. And they see this inquisitive thing going on in mom or dad's mind and 
And they go, ooh, we're on an adventure. We're going to do this together. We're going to discover more about God. Dad doesn't understand everything about God. And if you think that you do, oh my gosh, you put your God in a box. He's big. Discover together. And then grow. Have your kids start to memorize one verse. Have them memorize two verses. Celebrate it. Do When you have family meals, grandpa and grandma, uncles and aunts all come over, you say, look at what my little girl can do. Honey, would you, would you recite Scripture? I'm going to tell you, it works for grace. You give her a platform, Dad, I can do it. And she'll just get up there and she'll share Scripture. And everybody does what? They celebrate. Oh, Grace, that was wonderful. And what does she want to do? She wants to instill it in her heart even more. The next thing that that can be done is this. A godly mother will use God's Word. God's Word to lead her children to saving faith in Christ. You know, in, in verse 15, it says, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the what? Sacred writings, which were able to make you wise for salvation. Not just make you wise, make you a smart kid. It makes you wise for salvation. It's the words of God that change our hearts. When Scripture gets hold of you, it turns you upside down and changes you. Salvation is built on the knowledge of the truth revealed in Scripture. Children need to know more than Jesus just wants to be your friend. So invite Him into your heart. It's more than just, let's just say this little prayer, honey. Jesus wants you to be His, be your friend. They need to know that God's Word reveals the condition of their heart. And that they're rebellious and disobedient. And if you don't have children, you were a child. You yourself were rebellious and disobedient. And God's Word reveals that about us. They need to know that not only is God loving but also that He is holy and that He is just. He's not just this God that you pet kindly. Just, oh, Jesus and I are best friends. God is holy and He is just. They need to know that Jesus did die on a cross. Dying as our substitute. He died in your place, Grace. He died in your place, Isaac. He died for you in your place so that you would not have to die. Jesus did that for you. He is so much more than just a friend. He is your Savior. He's the one who came for you. They need to know and understand that God forgives our sin because of His kindness apart from their good works. Our kids need to know, you know what, it's done. Jesus died for that. And you know what? Just like God forgets about it, I'm done with it too. You're forgiven. 
Jesus died for that. And he died for that. The big and the little. They need to know what saving faith is as opposed to just an empty profession that does not result in salvation. And as you read your Bible with your kids, they will learn about people who were just, are just like them. Just like them. I am David, and so are you. I'm Solomon, and so are you. I might not be financially wealthy, and neither are you, but we, we can identify with these, all these stories of Scripture. Those are our stories as well. Of people who have turned from their sin to God and were saved. Those are our stories as well. And we need to be careful, so careful to assume that just because your, your little child asked Jesus into their heart, we need to be careful that not to assume that they are automatically saved. Kids very quickly like to, well, what do I say, Mom? Okay. And they just kind of regurgitate back. Although it may be true that they have received Christ and the free gift of salvation, we need to be careful. We need to train them up. We need to constantly be present and represent and represent and represent the good news of Jesus Christ constantly. We need to look for genuine evidence of conversion. Just like we look for genuine evidence of conversion in our own lives. Is there real change in our lives? Or are we just kind of going through the motions? We've got to look deeply. Does this little kid show a growing love for God and His Word? Does this little kid want to talk about the things of God and talk to God, about the things of God? Does he or she want to please God with all of their lives? And we've got to be careful for and avoid just easy believeism. We've got to avoid that. It's a major danger in our church, in the church of North America and across the world. Just believe this and you'll be all right. You got fire insurance. If you ever have the chance, it's about 54 bucks online. Read Charles Spurgeon's autobiography. In one of the chapters called Through Much Tribulation, uh, in his first volume, he goes on for about 20 pages, 20 pages, in this, just describing this mountain of guilt that he had until he was converted at the age of 15. He was so graphic about his sin and his guilt that in today's society, we would uh, sign him up for a psychologist. Hearing what this little kid was going through, you go, oh, you need to see a counselor. Here's what he says. For five years as a child, there was nothing before my eyes but my guilt. And though I do not hesitate to say that those who observed my life would not have seen any extraordinary sin because he was a, a minister's son in Victorian England, yet, I, yet as I looked upon myself, 
There was not a day in which I did not commit such gross, such outrageous sins against God that often and often have I wished I had never been born. This is a kid. What would we do? We'd send him to a counselor. Oh, honey, you're not so bad. Those sins aren't such a big deal. Early age, he felt the weight of sin. After a ton of pages of describing his guilt of of disobeying God's law and his fear uh, of being condemned, he said this, And then I was brought down to see my corruption, my wickedness, my filthiness, for God always humbles the sinner whom he means to save. God humbled him. And in an earlier chapter, he, he tells how every Sunday evening his mother would stay home with the kids and read Scripture to them and plead with them to think about the state of their souls and to seek, seek God. And he remembers one time his mother praying this. And it must have just really kind of chiseled something into his heart because he wrote down the prayer. And this is what she said. And listen to this kind of a prayer. This is different than the kind of prayer that I do with my kids. All right, let's pray for Grandma. Who are the people that we love? Who's sick? You know, you do those kind of prayers? I pray those kind of prayers just myself. Now, Lord, if my children go on in their sins, it will not be from ignorance that they perish. (laughs) And my soul must bear a swift witness against them at the day of judgment if they lay, lay not hold of Christ. And then he says, that thought of my mother bearing swift witness against me pierced my conscience and stirred my soul. It's this idea of his mother standing right next to Jesus saying, here's my kid. Oh, I told him. (laughs) You know, uh, you heard the prayers. Charles, I told you this day was going to come. And I'm a witness uh, with God that I told you this was coming. And do we pray those kind of prayers with our kids? Stirring in their hearts. As we read through these pages of scriptures, child, examine this because someday you are going to be standing before a loving but yet holy and just God. Oh, And I will bear witness that I shared the gospel with you time and time and time and time and time again. Your job as a parent is not over It doesn't, it doesn't just, well, I got him off to college. I'm done with it. I did my, did my job. You keep pursuing them with the good news of Jesus Christ until they receive it. It is crucial that we, you as mothers, pray for and use Scriptures to lead our children to faith. Here's the third thing. A godly mother will train her children in how to live by God's Word. God's Word is mighty to save. And it's also sufficient for all of life and all of godliness. That's from 2 Peter. It is sufficient for all of life. 
and it is profitable for teaching us the ways of God and how He wants us to live. Your kids should see you applying God's Word to your life and you should teach them how to apply God's Word to their life. But, how do you do that if you yourself don't have a, a love for the God's Word and they, your kids don't see you having it? You don't want your kids to go, alright, you just lied to me. Concordance, let's see, lying. Scripture says, let me, oh, there is a whole slew of lying in here. You just sit still for a little bit. I haven't read this yet, but it's, it applies to you. They want to hear. They need to see you in your own personal life go, man, honey, I am sorry. I have lied to you. I haven't been truthful with you. I have been mean. I've been this. I've been that. And you know what? I need to, I need to confess my sin. And you know what Jesus says in, in the Bible? He'll be faithful and just to remove all this. And they need to hear us and see us. Grow them up into maturity. Simple facts of the truth. And build them layers and layers and layers and layers. And see rich children grounded in the truth of God. If you use God's Word as mothers, as fathers, to lead your children to saving faith, and train them up in God's ways, listen, this is what is going to happen. You as a godly mother will have great influence on your children. If you lead them in the ways of righteousness, you will have great influence. Who knows what lifelong influence Lois and Eunice had on young Timothy? Sure, he was strengthened by his relationship with Paul, but the foundations were laid by a godly mother and a godly grandmother. And it's not too much to argue that the world history is shaped in the home through godly mothers. The world's history is shaped by parents in in a covenant relationship. Fathers doing their role and their responsibility and mothers doing their role and responsibility in the family of leading and guiding and shaping their children, pointing them to Jesus Christ through the Word of God and constantly, constantly modeling it out before them. Spurgeon said this. I know you're probably getting enough, but that's all right. Never could it be possible for any man to estimate what he owes to a godly mother. Men, hear that? Certainly, I have not the powers of speech with which to set forth my valuation of the choice blessing which God bestowed on me in making me the son of one who prayed for me and prayed with me. How can I ever forget her tearful eye when she warned me to escape from the wrath to How can I ever forget when she bowed her knee and with her arms around my neck prayed, Oh, that my son might live before thee. That 
is a godly mother. That is my, my greatest hope. It's to see mothers embrace their God-given responsibility, calling, their vocation to be moms. If God has gifted you with children, that you embrace it fully. Whatever that looks like. You embrace it fully. Not as a burden, but as a joy. You look at your children as gifts from God that you need to someday stand before the throne of God and just say, I have done everything for this child. He has accepted, she has accepted the good news of Jesus Christ. You know, yeah. And you can hear with Jesus, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come and enjoy the blessings of my presence. And I want you to dream what that means. The eternal implications. Not just heaven. Okay? I want you to think about next year. As your child goes on to the next level of education, the next group of friends. What it means when your child understands the gospel. And your home becomes a light in your community in a dark place. It's not just for your family, it's for the sake of the kingdom. You have been blessed to be a blessing to your children who are going to be a blessing to the nations. If this church does not grow numerically, I'm going to stand before Jesus like one of those mothers and say, I've told them. Jesus, we're called to be a light in this community. And I've told them time and time again. I have prayed for them. I have read the Word of God. And you know what? You're the judge. You know. I've beseeched the fathers. I've beseeched the mothers to be that godly influence, to be a light in the community. I've encouraged them. I've tried to disciple them. I've done these things. And Jesus, you know it. The responsibility is now yours. It's yours. It is in your hands. It's in your lap. The choice. What are you going to do? Will you be faithful with the good news of Jesus Christ? Will you keep it and hoard it or do you share it with your children, with your neighbors, your friends in the world to be a light in a dark place? But maybe you feel like you, we, have been a failure. Where do you start? You hear sermons like this and go, oh dear God. The weight of this is huge. You need to hear that God always honors repentance. Always. Always honors repentance. Turn back to Him today. Confess your failures. 
More than that, confess your sins. Begin to obey Him right where you're at. As a Christian couple, as a Christian person, maybe you have to consider, consider what is your place in the work world? It scares me saying those things. What is God calling you to do? We need to remember that God can use you as He used Lois and as He used Eunice in Timothy's life. Start walking with God in sincere faith. Non-hypocritical faith. Use His Word. Use His Word. Not just your own kind of funky morality or stuff handed down from your parents. Use God's Word to train your children, to train your someday grandchildren in God's ways. And you will be mighty moms and dads. Spiritual fathers, spiritual mothers, brothers and sisters of Christ. You will be mighty in influencing our nation and our world for Jesus' sake. And all God's people said,